One of the projects I have been working on this year to help us in these dark pandemic times is a new podcast called Lamplight. My co-host and I, we just released it a week ago. It's a podcast on spirituality for everyday people. And in the first series, we are exploring spiritual practices and many practices that aren't traditional spiritual practices that you may have grown up learning in Sunday school, but some that we have found to be really helpful to us along the way, and some that we think might be helpful for you in these pandemic days. And so I want to encourage you to check out that podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or or pretty much any place you tend to listen to podcasts. And If you are willing to help us share it with others, then I'd ask that you go ahead and leave a review. That's actually one of the best ways for it to get out there and maybe share it on some of your social media so that we can get it out to those that might find it helpful. I'm I'm mentioning to you this podcast in part because it's something I've been working on for you as a, a resource during this time but also because I want to tell you about a story that came up in the second episode. In that episode, my co-host Hannah tells us about the story of one of the births of one of her child. And, And I won't give the whole story away, but I do want to tell you that something went quite wrong while she was in labor and her little one, got stuck. And so before she knew it, there was suddenly this whole flurry of people who come into the room to help her. And these experts that were in the room, they had her get up on her hands and knees and then flip over onto her back and flip back and forth like that four different times in 40 seconds to try to open up the pathway for her little one to come forth into the world. Now, I can only imagine how crazy that moment must have felt for her. It was probably scary and unnerving and disorienting. But all Hannah could do was trust the voices that were guiding her and make these really uncomfortable movements and hope that they opened the way for the child to come. It's an image that has been coming to mind this week as I've been thinking about the kind of story that the Gospel of Mark is telling us about Jesus' coming into this world. If you were with us last week, then you know that this Advent we are actually looking at the four different Christmas stories that the four different Gospel writers give us. And last week we looked at Matthew's version of the story and how Jesus comes in the midst of great interruptions of our world. And how Jesus is also his own kind of interruption to our lives, just as he was to Joseph's life. This week we're in Mark, only Mark doesn't actually give us the kind of story that we tend to think of as the Christmas story, does he? In the Gospel of Mark, there's no angels or shepherds or manger. There's no Mary or Joseph or the donkey. Mark just sort of jumps over all of that and starts off with the adult Jesus, But before he does, Mark still gives us an Advent story, a story of Jesus's coming forth into this world. In fact, in verse one, he starts off by saying, this is the beginning 
of the good news of Jesus, of the story of Jesus. And in verse 2, he says that that beginning has echoes in the ancient writings of the prophet Isaiah. I'm sending a messenger, Isaiah wrote, a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way, make straight the path for the coming of the Lord. And it strikes me that this is exactly what my friend Hannah was having to do. Her little one was ready to come, wanting to come, but the path had to be opened. The path was blocked, and Hannah had to find a way to make that path straight, only she couldn't quite know how to do that on her own, but there were these voices calling out to her that did. And I'm not sure if those voices were nurses or if it was the doctor or if it was a midwife. She didn't say. All she said is that there were these people who came in and started calling out to her, telling her just how to make straight the path for the child. Now, Mark goes on to tell us that the voice calling out to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus was, of course, John the Baptist, which has me thinking that in Mark's telling of the Advent story, John the Baptist is kind of like a midwife for the world. He's coaching us on how to help Jesus come forth. Now, about a year ago, I I preached a sermon about St. Bridget of Kildare, the second great patron saint of Ireland, and you might remember that in the Celtic tradition, Bridget was imagined as actually being the midwife of Mary, in part because Bridget was the one who helped midwife Christianity into the Celtic world. Well, in a similar way, that's what John the Baptist is doing. He is the one helping to midwife the coming of Jesus into the Judean world. He was the one coaching them then, and he's coaching you and I today, telling them and us how to prepare the way, how to make the straight path. And Mark tells us that John's technique had a lot to do with repentance. Now, I have to be honest with you, repentance doesn't seem like a very great topic for this time of year. I mean, Lent? Sure, right? But this time of year, we're used to focusing on those themes of hope and peace, joy and love. And this time of year, we're excited to be stringing up lights and hanging ornaments. And there's that mixture of nostalgia of Christmas past and excitement about Christmas coming. Talk of repentance. It kind of sounds like a bit of a downer. And that's especially true, I think, this year when everything feels so hard and, and so dark anyway. But for those of you that have been steeped in the ancient rhythms of Christian worship, who have, whose Decembers have been shaped by a spirituality of lectionaries and liturgies, then you know that John the Baptist shows up the second week of Advent every year, and every year he carries a similar message. Christ is coming, John always says. It's time to prepare the way, make straight the path. And his advice for doing that is always the same. Repent and be baptized. Repent and believe. Now, I think it's important for us to remember that repentance doesn't mean always putting on sackcloth 
and beating ourselves up. It doesn't mean picking apart everything that you've failed at in your life or focusing on every imperfection of your life and deciding just how completely worthless you are. Unfortunately, there are streams of Christianity that treat repentance that way, but I think that's kind of a warped idea of repentance because repentance is more of an honest seeing of yourself before the light and the love of God. It means pausing long enough to look not just at your failures, but also your blessings. It's a recognition of both your brokenness and your blessedness before the light and the love of God. Did you know that? Did you know that God isn't actually interested in just making you feel bad or convince you of how worthless you are, but God at the same time does long to help you embrace what is true about your life and about your living. And the truth almost always involves a letting go of some things and an embracing of other things. There are things that we have given ourselves to or things that we have held on to that probably need to be let go of again this year, aren't there? And maybe you already know what some of those things are. Or maybe you need to pause for a moment and ask yourself, what things have I held on to in my heart this year? What hurts or envies or jealousies or anger have I been unwilling to lay down before the light and the love of God? Or what expectations of others do I hold on to too tightly? What expectations of my family, of my coworkers, or even expectations of myself that I have continued to hold on to and it's kept me irritated and dissatisfied with my life? Are there things I need to walk away from? Maybe some things I've been too afraid or too untrusting or too selfish to walk away from. Can you see yourself honestly enough to name the things you need to let go of? And then once you name them, can you make a commitment to actually do that, to actually set those things down and leave them behind and walk away? That's one of the key parts of repentance. And so I want to challenge you to take just a moment and honestly ask yourself those questions right now, because there is a holy child that wants to be born among us. But according to John, if the pathway isn't cleared, that child might just stay stuck in the labor pains of our life, unable to come forth. Can you name the things you need to let go of? If I had to guess, that's the part of repentance you're the most familiar with. But you know, lately I've been thinking that there's another movement to repentance, one that is just as important 
And that's the movement of embracing what needs to be embraced and maybe especially embracing the blessedness of your life before God. It's kind of hard to do that. And I I think it's the kind of thing we don't do very well. For some of us, it's just hard to trust that the all-knowing, all-seeing creator of all that is actually takes notice of you and cares about your particular life and is reaching out to you in love. For some of us, it's just really hard to know that right along some of those most painful things of our lives are some of the most profound gifts of life. Because you see, there is beauty and goodness all around us. We may not recognize it or always acknowledge it because we're so distracted by so many things that we have to do or because our hearts are are weighed down by all that is hard and hurtful. But repentance involves pausing long enough to see that these hard and hurtful things or the things that consume all of our schedules are not all that there is to our life. And it is not all that there is to this world. There is also goodness and love and beauty and grace and joy. And it is all there before us. For some, you you simply don't recognize just how much God delights in you and the uniqueness of who you are, body, heart, and mind, and the unique particular gifts that only you can offer this world, and in those moments of love that you embody in this world. You see, repentance involves recognizing the gifts of your life, and and it involves recognizing that God delights in you and embracing that delight just as much as it involves letting go of what we need to let go of. That's what I mean when I said earlier that repentance starts with a clear and honest seeing of what is true about your life and your living, both your brokenness and your blessedness. And it involves the work of letting go of what needs to be let go of and embracing what needs to be embraced. And so I've been thinking that it's sort of like being on your hands and your knees before God on one hand and then flipping over on your back with your face lifted up before the love of God on the other. Repentance involves flipping back and forth between the two. And when we do that, these motions together of letting go and embracing, this movement of being on our hands and knees and then lifting our face up before the love of God, they are the movements that prepare the way. They make the path straight. See, John, the midwife of Christmas, is telling us to repent because Christ is ready to come forth. And here's the thing. 
Both of these movements of repentance will probably be unnerving and disorienting at the time. They might be quite uncomfortable for us to make. But I just wonder what might happen this Christmas if we trust the voice of this ancient midwife enough and made these uncomfortable movements intentionally. It might just be that this is the way that we will actually find the hope and peace, the joy and the love we've been waiting for. Amen.